Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Hi, this is Simon Jowett, writer of James Bond comic books with Dark Horse, and you are listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. This episode is dedicated to Zeke Adams, one of our new listeners. We appreciate you, Zeke, and we hope you enjoy taking the James Bond journey with us. Welcome to the Rookie Agents, Agent Zeke. Hello and welcome back to Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Row. I got excited about my nickname tonight. All right, joining me as veteran Bondophile co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Welcome back to the show. Jason, what's the most Bond-like thing you've done since last recording? Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's Bond-like, but I did take a trip out to Whidbey Island, link up with the parents of both Weasel Skull and Death Probe. So I had a good time. Uh, we did a show. Julie sold some art at the art festival there. Festival was really cool. There was a Dutch store there, so I got a little international flair. Got some Dutch chocolates and stuff like that. Oh, was Donnie Z there? Uh, you know, I didn't see Donnie Z. I don't think he was there. We'll have to Maybe we can ask him later. Huh. But anyway, I had a good time, spent some time with the folks, and back in action this week. Cool, I dig it. Well, this episode is the 20th episode. Can you believe it, guys? 20 episodes. On our channel, it's called MI6 Rookie Agents. On Rookie Agents, Jason and I are taking two friends in our lives who are not very familiar with the 007 universe through the entire James Bond series of films, one movie at a time, and we are getting darn close to the end. But the fun part of the show is we get those newcomers' points of view, we get the untainted, unbiased points of view about these films that we love so much here on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Let's welcome our Rookie Agents to the show. We will start with Delvin, the Dark Web, Silverhands, Hot Pop Piss, Hot Thing... Did I forget any? Felix Slider. Ah, oh, there you go. That's Welcome one back. of my most supplies to this show, Jared. It does. Welcome back, man. What you been doing the 007 like? Well, a few weeks ago, I met with my family, too. I went to the luxurious location of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Don't be jealous. Mm. Don't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and got to see uh, some folks from my dad's side of the family. It's probably the first family reunion that I've been to in... <laughs> Like 20 years. It had been a while for old Dark Web. So I don't know if that's Bond-like or not. You know what? Let's add something to the story to make it sound more Bond-like. We have a family crest. Yes. Yes. And the family crest says the world is not enough. We didn't borrow that from the movie. We just had that originally. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Family reunion is going to be appropriate once we get to Spectre, though. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. (laughs) So our other rookie agent is... 
Pat Samson, a.k.a. DJ Cristados, the villain from Free Your Eyes Only, but no heroin. Welcome back to the show, Pat. Thank you, Jared. And um, just since we're talking about parents, your mother sent me in to tell you that she's really disappointed in you. <laughs> He's quoting tonight's movie, Die Another Day. <laughs> well done, Pat. Well done. She actually did say that to me, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it all came full circle. Have you done anything 007-wise? I bet you have. I bet you, I'm betting. You tell me. You're like a Boris-level programmer now with the computer work you've been doing. You're right. I was just going to say that, too. I'm, I'm moving up. He's invincible. I'm invincible, and you bunch of slugheads. <laughs> so you're like a level three, maybe even level four programmer now? Yeah, I'm uh, doing that stuff, so you know, I get to work on the guidance system now. Yes, as I understand it, in Pat's real life, there's been a major technological overhaul at his day job, and he's been sort of overseeing and bringing in an upgrading of a lot of equipment. Yes. Keeping me busy. Good job. Nobody asked me, but I'll just tell you guys. You guys remember way, 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 way back in Dr. No when he got basically kidnapped with Honey Rider and then they slipped him a Mickey in his coffee and he kind of passed out and he's kind of laying there and Dr. No creeped in the room and just watched him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of slept really hard the other night. And just that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, and I woke up and my son was just looking at me. <laughs> no, no, I got nothing. I've done nothing since last recording that's Bond-like. So all I did was get a good night's sleep the other night, much like Bond did in that movie. That's all I got. Jordan says, one million dollars. <laughs> one million dollars, father. You're wondering what it costs. <laughs> well, anyway, enough of my dumbness. We're planning on releasing the show as a monthly companion to the show that Van Allen Plexico and Alan Porter are doing. They're currently also doing one film per month. Building towards the release date of Bond 25, which comes out God knows when. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Craig has a boo-boo. <laughs> oh. We love you, Daniel, but come on, man. <laughs> Maybe Daniel Craig works on the guidance system. <laughs> I'm sure Sean Connery will have a thing or two to say about this. <laughs> he will. So anyway, like I said, we're just doing this show to get the a look at the series through the eyes of our newcomers. So if you want that more in-depth and academic look at the film series, complete with the host as an actual British accent. Stay tuned to and subscribe to on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We've got other fun stuff like the music of Bond with Bond novelist Raymond Benson on the show. He hosts a show about Bond music. I mean, we're giving you the good stuff, people, so stick around. Let's get to today's film, Die Another Day. But before we get our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right into the action with no parachute in our segment called What Makes You Say That? I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. Says, speak over of a hold your peace. Jason's not feeling good about this tonight because it's not a movie that we rewatch a lot. <clears throat> How many times have you watched it? This is probably maybe around nine or ten for me. I'd say probably around six for me. Okay. And I worked at the movie theater when it came out, so I probably saw it, you know, at the theater probably three times. I was in Kosovo when it came out, and I saw it at the crappy little tent theater they had set up there. I was in Montgomery, so similar. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. It's not. I actually like Montgomery. I, I went in for the cheap joke, and I apologize, Montgomery. All of our listeners in Montgomery, I actually love that town. So anyway, Jason, let's do this. Give it my best shot. I might need some backup from the rookies on All this right, one. we'll call on the rookies if we need to. I, I What I did is my usual. I gave you one that I'm pretty sure you're going to get out, out of the gate. Okay. Then I brought in a, a bit more challenging one, and we'll see how that one goes. So here we go. Here we go. 
All right, let's do it. Okay. Oh, I probably should explain this to the audience. I'm going to give Jason a line from the movie, and he's going to tell me the line that comes before it. Jason rewinds the movie in his head and gives us the line that came before it. So I'm about to throw him out a line. He's going to tell me what came before it. Here we go. Here's your line. Okay. Threw it away years ago. You had your cyanide. See? Round one. Okay. All right. All right. Feeling a little cocky now. (laughs) (laughs) He's strutting around the studios here at MI6 headquarters. All right. Next line. It's two words. With pleasure. Mm. Let me know if you need a hint. And if any rookie thinks they've got it, just say something real subtle like, ooh, ooh, ooh. That's right. Let's see here. Yeah, I'll need a hint on this one. Okay. It happens not too long after the first line I gave you. Maybe a couple Mm. minutes later in the movie, it's Pierce Brosnan delivering the line. Okay. I think it's something like, and when you see Sal. Yes. (laughs) Send him. Our regards. You're very close. So, yeah, something like that. Yeah, the line Please. is, if you find him, yeah. say goodbye from us. <laughs> yeah, say goodbye from us. That's right. That's right. Okay. You're pretty good, man, for moving uh, yeah, yeah, I struggled on that last one. I'm still going to play the applause sound effect for you right here. Okay. <laughs> not bad. Not bad at all. All right, with. What makes you say that in the bag? Jason, give us that quick mission briefing on Die Another Day. Will do. Your freedom came at too high a price. The mission was compromised. The same person who set me up then has just set me up again. So I'm going after him. Got your attention. Tell me what you know of James Bond. He'll light the fuse on any explosive situation. Show me the diamonds. Don't blow it all at once. What happened to you? Bond. And be a danger to himself and others. I'm going to let him mix things up a little. My friends call me Jinx. My friends call me James Bond. Wow. Now there's a mouthful. Who sent you? Your mama. Glad you can make it, Mr. Bond. I see you don't chase dreams, you live them. One of the virtues of never sleeping. I have to live my dreams. Time to draw the line. Well, it seems you've become useful again. Maybe it's time you let me get on with my job. So, this is where they keep the old relics, then, eh? Twist so, voila! You know, you're cleverer than you look. Better than looking cleverer than you are. Careful. A nice palace can be such a treacherous place. I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. Must you touch everything? Would you like to show me more? Kill him. Now! 1,000 meters in closing. Put you back in third, eh? Let's get down to business. Looks like we're going down together. Not yet! So on a mission to assassinate a rogue North Korean officer, Agent 007 is betrayed and captured. 
After spending more than a year tortured and held captive in a North Korean prison, Bond is eventually traded back to the British in exchange for a North Korean terrorist. 007 wants to immediately return to the field and find the mole who betrayed him, but M is unconvinced that he is physically and mentally fit and rescinds his 00 status. Undeterred, James Bond goes rogue and uncovers a plot involving a mysterious English diamond miner slash adventurer, a secret genetics research facility, and the North Korean military. Teaming with sexy and deadly NSA agent Jinx Johnson, 007 squares off against an army of foes racing from Hong Kong to Cuba to the UK to Iceland and North Korea. Using his wits and gadgets, both old and new, Bond makes sure that all traitors to the Crown face their final day of judgment. Although considered by many to be the weakest of the Brosnan films, Die Another Day was a financial success. It was directed by Lee Tamahori and raked in $161 million in the U.S. and $432 million worldwide. The cast included Pierce Brosnan in his final role as James Bond, Halle Berry as Jinx Johnson, Toby Stevens as Gustav Graves, Rosamund Pike as Miranda Frost, Rick Yoon as Zhao, Samantha Bond as Ms. Moneypenny, John Cleese as Q, and Judy Dench as M. Back to you, Jared. Thank you for that, Agent Jason. Now let's find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in our segment called Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? In Declassified, we're going to break this movie into a few pieces and get the insights of our rookie agents, and then Agent Jason will give us his overall insights and his bomb-bombs of trivia before leading Agent Delvin and Agent Pat into the scoring round. But like I said, we're going to break this up into a couple of sections. First, we're going to talk about the pre-title sequence. Then we'll talk about the song and the opening credits. Then we'll do a quick thing of Agent Jared's Choice, where I pick something I think is stand out from this film to get the rookie's opinions on, and then we'll get their overall opinions of the film. So there's a lot coming in this segment. Just ride along with us. So I'll kick us off. We're going to talk about pre-title sequence. What did you think, rookies? We will start with Delvin. Well, surfing was kind of new, at least the way that they brought it in. And I thought that was kind of cool seeing that and seeing Bond and uh, his other uh, agents come in to North Korea on the seas. It'd be interesting to see where they came from. Well, I thought that was cool. We got our introduction to the colonel who was working a speed bag in a very... <laughs> <laughs> way to the to the dude that was inside that speed bag i also thought it was kind of long too i was like man this is going on for a while and it definitely did not end in a way that i have ever seen a pre-credit sequence in for james bond it did not end good for him mm-hmm. which is what actually one of my highlights of the film that yeah. torture lady was kind of hot did she show up or did she show up in the credits I she think shows she shows up, up right, right at, at the, the end before the credits. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, let's get Pat's thoughts. Pat, what do you think about that pre-title sequence? Yeah, so surfing, that's kind of new, huh? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and then the guy in the bag there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I caught something I think probably Delvin missed was the hovercraft. Yeah. I didn't I see it. Those are cool. <laughs> <laughs> they were just floating above the DNC. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Those are cool. Other than that, you know, like Delvin said, the way he said it, I wrote down the same things as well, too. So <laughs> it was a long sequence that he mentioned that. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? Is this going to end or and how is it going to end? 
was kind of interesting. So did it entertain yeah. you? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I would because I think it was kind of different. Mm-hmm. So definitely different. Definitely different. Which uh, I'll take this moment. I have a list of things I've written down for tonight that I want to bring up that are positive to talk about. Die another day because people like to poop on this movie. And it's got its problems, but I will say I put in my notes that I really appreciate the fact that this movie showed us the downside of being a secret agent. We've never seen that before. We've only seen Bond get the girl and do the cool things, but we've never seen him captured. <laughs> like, for yeah, real they, 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 they went through the whole thing. He was like, yeah, saved by the bell. It was like, yeah, hacha-cha, funny line, right? But, oh, wait. Uh-oh. Colonel's daddy showed up. <laughs> Not good. Bond was like, oh, I hated the colonel with his beady eyes. And, oh, you're going to eat my chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quoting from another movie. All right, enough of my shenanigans. I'll turn it over to Jason for our next major topic. Well, we're going to get a fresh take from the rookies on the theme song and the opening credits for this movie. We'll let Pat go first and talk about his thoughts on the theme song and the opening credits, and we'll get it to Delvin, and then we'll cut Pat loose to do some scoring. So let's open it up with you, Pat. What do you think about the theme song and the opening credits? Okay, so the theme song is Madonna, and it's Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, some connection to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's not my time to go. <laughs> <laughs> So that was kind of interesting. And then you had just the way from the unusual opening sequence that went into the credit sequence. And so you kind of got to see what was happening in the background for that, what, would it say 14 months or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. First time in the franchise that we see story development during the credits. Yes. It was kind of interesting to see that happening as the music was playing along. So concur. Yeah. Good, good. Delvin, what do you think? Yeah, for the credits, just like Jared mentioned, the credits or the music starts with Bond getting a freaking hood put over his head. And he's about to get waterboarded. Yay. Ooh. Okay. I mean, so that kind of goes into so the story's being told throughout the credits, and, and that was cool. So let's talk about the song, man. It doesn't fit. It's like you got James Bond being waterboarded. And it's like, techno dance break. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? It, it kind of. I mean, and I actually like the song. Like, it, against every ounce of my will, I don't want to like the song. But I really do like the song. And then I, I think, you know, you got the violins going mm-hmm. with the techno beat. And, okay. and like, so it was a very well constructed song for what it was, but it absolutely did not fit what was going on at the time. <laughs> He's getting, getting his butt beat, you know, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it was a little disjointed. I did like the song, but it absolutely did not fit what was going on. Yeah, I thought the very beginning was interesting. I liked how it had like that tension building music as he's being pulled into the room. And then as it cuts to the theme song, I thought it was cool how the had the like with the scorpion tails in the air. I thought that was really neat how they did that. And I liked how they used that to show the torture that he went through in a very artistic way, I thought. But 
all in all, I have to agree with Delvin. It seemed like the song was a little disjointed. I liked what they tried to do with it. All right. So that, I think I'm just going to pass it over to you, Pat. You want to take us through the scoring? All right. Let's go ahead and do that. So let's go and see what everybody thought of Madonna's Die Another Day. Is it a, we're going to rate it a one through seven. So Delvin, what'd you think? I'm going right in the middle. I'm going to give it a four. I had it written as a five, but I thought about it a little bit and I wanted to drop it because it just did not fit into the theme of what the movie was. I mean, like the, even the garbage song, The World Is Not Enough, would have gone well there. Even though, like, I mean, of course, they would have to rearrange the title and blah, blah, blah. But just saying the, the theme or how somber the song was would have fit yeah. better than, than Madonna's you know version of, of what she did. So I'll give it a four. Pat, what do you think? I like the song, and like you said, I like them. If I just listening to the song by itself without the video that was with it, I'm gonna give it a five because it's it's good dancey beat. I remember playing it back in the club time. DJ's the club. I would play that song a lot. People wanted it when this movie was coming out. So you know, it's Madonna. Yeah. Man, I'm telling you, I was ready to rate the song higher until I saw what was going on with it, and was just like, I'm confused. <laughs> Does anybody know? You know, why she was chosen and why she got that little cameo. She's Madonna. I don't know. I'm just I'm curious. Jared, any thoughts on that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. I don't know. That's an Alan Porter question. Jason, what do you think of the song? I'm going to give it a five, Pat. I really like this song. It's a toe tapper. I don't care if all the fans hate me. Five it is. <laughs> Jared? I don't care if the fans hate Jason, and I don't care if they hate me. I'm giving it a five. All right. See, I'm not alone. No, it's a good little song. I get what Delvin's saying, though. It does feel yeah. a little out of place, but if I judge it just by how I listen to it, you know, via my playlist or whatever, I like it. We're going to get angry letters. We are. <laughs> yeah, people, like, I, I heard some chatter. People were like, ugh, I hate that song. Like, I don't know. I don't hate it. It's fun. I just don't think fun and waterboarding go together. <laughs> <laughs> they don't go hand in hand. <laughs> fun and scorpion stinging, just, you know. <laughs> Happy fun time. <laughs> what? No. no. I think, you know, I think it's something where it's a song that you listen to. Like, I would listen to it and playing it as a DJ and not really know much about the movie. So when you make that separation, that makes that song, you know, even better. Mm-hmm. I track you. Yeah, you just because I would listen to the song, song and I would go, I don't know anything about the movie, so okay, it's well, a James now Bond. Now you do. Now I do, yeah, but I still like it. Cool, cool, cool. All right, well, let's go to Jared's choice for Jared's choice segment this week. I am going to ask specifically about, as it says in my notes, Bala ass cribs. <laughs> so. Gustav's <laughs> Graves had a pretty baller-ass crib made completely of ice there in Iceland, and it was pretty cool. So that led me to think, okay, well, which other villains, or whomever, I don't care if it's a villain or not, did you think, up to this film, has had the most baller-ass cribs? And if you're struggling with your brain, I got a few options that jumped in my head. Of course, Hugo Drax had that very stately manner that he br had brought over from France, brick by brick, and rebuilt in Canada. Baller-ass crib. Baller-ass crib. Stromberg had an underwater facility that he lived in. Blofeld lived in Peace Gloria at the top of a mountain and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Baller-ass crib. We mentioned earlier in the show, Dr. No, he lived also in a pretty sweet undersea crib. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones that jumped to mind. I'm sure I've forgotten. I mean, Sanchez lived in that pretty sweet, like, white, smoothed-out pad there in Isthmus City. There's a lot to choose from. So, 
while, while the, what are you saying, Pat? Oh, I, I got mine picked. Oh, you got just picked. Okay, I usually go to Jason to give you guys more time, but since Pat has the enthusiasm, Pat, who do you think had the most baller ass crib? I want the island. Oh, are you talking Scaramanga's Island? Yeah, Scaramanga's That's not bad. That's not bad. Because you had a nice beachfront. Yeah. And then a cool playground inside. Right. And some cool rooms and all that. So I think that would be my place. No, I like that, too. Because one of the ones, a couple of the ones that crossed my mind were like, well, Drax had a space station. But I'm like, that's not really a great Mm -hmm. crib, though. It's more like a functional place to run your master plan from. You can imagine if you were on, like... Say MTV Cribs is like, check out my crib, y'all. I'm in space. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see a lot of creature comfort there, but I, I see it on Scaramanga's Island, so I think it's a that's a good call, Pat. But Drex had that cave too, right? Yes, 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 where he was launching the satellites from. Yeah, and yeah, so he South had America. all that facility there. Yeah. Now, Drax had a mini of Bala's crib, but I was like, I think his most Bala's of crib was probably the one that he had built in California. That was pretty nice. But hey, that's just me. Let's go to uh, Jason. What do you got? Yeah, I've been thinking about it while you guys were talking. And I got to go with Drax. He just, because he had not just that, all the crib out in LA. He had, like we were talking about the little mountain crib in Rio. And he had some places in Venice. Mm-hmm. And then he could also, like, he had, obviously had enough resources where he could, like, turn a lab, a fully stocked lab, into a ball of ass crib overnight. <laughs> It's true. That's hard to compete with. I'm going to go with Hugo Drax as my man. All right. All right. Delvin. I'll go classic with Blofeld. I mean, Piz Gloria was great. Yes, it is glorious. I don't even know how to ski, but you wouldn't have to because you're a toboggan. Yeah. You know, you could just put on your winter clothes and you can hang out and sip cocoa and maybe, you know, drop some brandy in it. Right, Pat? Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. See, Pat's with me there. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I can invite my friends up and we can you know, have sexy, cool parties. So I'm going with Blofeld. And if you go with Blofeld, do you get the bonus of also having you only live twice with the volcano fort? <laughs> you cross crossing movies. Again, I thought about Volcano Fort, but again, not a lot of creature comfort. You got that yeah. nice little koi pond slash piranha pond thing going on. That was nice. But aside from that, didn't look like it'd be comfortable. No safety rails on that piranha bridge either. Right. <laughs> OSHA did not have a hand in the construction uh-uh. of the facility. I'm not going over that bridge. <laughs> you, know, you better hope you don't have to go to the bathroom and you have to cross that and somebody forgot to turn on the nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. At the end of the day, I really liked Gustav Graves' baller crib in Iceland. I'm attracted nice. to cold weather. but How does the electricity work there? Geothermal. How does things work there, Pat? <laughs> I don't know. I was trying you to figure that out. You had a whole geothermal out. pond there. He's powering everything from geothermal energy. Is it bad that I sat there most some of the movie trying to think, well, how does that place work? Instead of really watching the movie? No, I did the same thing. I'm like, shouldn't there be <laughs> puddles of water everywhere? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Kill out there with a the mop. Like, this sucks. Man. You know, I think at the end of the day, boys, I'm going to give my final vote to... This is tough, but I think I might go with Dr. No, and I'll tell you why. Because not only do you have that really ballo, really just comfortable underwater view in that sweet, sweet place Patty had, but you remember the pad itself is on Crab Key, which in and of itself is a beautiful tropical island. Yeah, so you it, do get the island effect with that pit. Yeah, and pit so it's very out. similar to the Scaramango one. I think the Scaramango one and, and Dr. No's one is probably equally and uh, and a good call on Scaramanga. There's fewer people there. There's nobody on staff except for that like big muscly dude. 
Mm-hmm. And tattoo. And tattoo. The plague. The plague, boss. I mean, well, I'd have, I'd have more. Plague. I would have more people there with me, you know. Like Red Yeah, I was gonna say Crab Key was kind of a sausage fest. <laughs> <laughs> Honey Ryder showed up, and like those two Asian ladies that worked the front desk were like, "Damn it." <laughs> We have All a right, on we'll, this be place. Back. we'll be back with the dogs. <laughs> uh, anyway, this has been Bala's Ass Cribs with your host, Jared Death Row Valbrick. Bala's Ass Cribs. I'll pass it back to <laughs> Jason. Styles. I think it's time for us to get into some highs and lows. The bric-a-brac, as Pat calls it. You know what? We'll let Pat go first. Give us a high or a low on the film, Pat. Oh, boy. Well, I like some of the cool gadgets. This movie had some really cool kind of gadgety things. Both old and new. Both old. Yeah, you did get to see some old stuff when he met Q. And I was watching around in there. I'm like, oh, hey, there's that. And there's that jetpack. And there's, I think I saw like the little plane. Mm-hmm. From Octopussy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That little yeah. thing. The little oh. crocodile was hanging there, too. Yeah. yeah. I think I may have to go back there and look around in that room a little bit more. Plus, he used the uh, underwater breather from Thunderball in that one scene. Oh, yeah, that's right, when he went underwater. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going underwater, and you're going to be surrounded in water. Why would you just let that go? Why don't you just put that back in your pocket? Is it only a one-time use? Yes. It is? Yeah. Well, if it's like Thunderball, it only had, like, what do you say, seven minutes of air? Yeah, it was just a few minutes. Hmm, interesting. But yeah, I like the gadgets in this one. There's some pretty cool. I like those switchblades. That's cool. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, switchblades. Those were kind of nifty. What <laughs> switchblades? I sleep through this. Those little like <laughs> mini airplane glider things that they launched. Yeah. Like, oh, those are okay. Yeah, yeah. Those were cool. I like those. I forgot those were called switchblades. <laughs> that was during your not off period. I was that's I was about out at this point. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> All right. I was going to say, I thought it was pretty cool, too, that you got to see Bond with a full beard and his hair grown out. It was kinda... neat to see that. And then, like, in the next scene where he got all cleaned up again. Yeah. Like, damn, he was dreamy. I was like, Jiminy Christmas, that guy can clean up. Well, I mean, but did he all sh- did he shave it off all with just that uh, the one razor or that one thing he was using the beard trimmer? I was gonna guess he'd go scissors first and then, <laughs> right? Delvin, you've recently done this, shaved off a beard. You go scissors first and then. Yeah. When when I shaved my beard off, it's been about a year ago. I just went to the barber and just told him to take it down with the clippers. Oh, okay. Ah. Oh. Is your barber as good looking as Peaceful Fountains of Desire? No, no, absolutely not. Oh, haircuts more often. <laughs> well, while we got you on the line, why don't you give us a high or a low? I better go with a high here because I don't have many. <laughs> <laughs> Use them up. The fight at the end between Jinx and Miranda was a pretty good fight. Uh-huh. That was definitely one of the biggest moments I felt that Halle Berry had on the screen. As a physical actor, she was very good. It was good seeing her in action. I think that was her strength as a character. And Miranda, which is a pretty easy name for me to remember, did a very good job in that fight and overall in the movie as well. Let's be honest. The girl fight at the end was better than the boy fight. Yes. Yes, yeah. dude was all nerded out in his RoboCop suit, man. <laughs> can't take that seriously. Just can't take him seriously. Nice glasses, uh, Ted Cord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good nerd joke right there. <laughs> he turned around in that dramatic moment. <laughs> I bust out laughing. Look like some of that spy what gear you buy for your that, kids man? at Walmart. <laughs> I know, man. You look like when I was playing laser tag back in the day. <laughs> 
goodness. Pat, I'm going to throw it back to you. Give me another high or a low, or a what the? I guess I'm going to call it a low. I didn't really take a lot of notes, but then I didn't really find a lot to write down. I just felt like there was something different about this movie. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out kind of what it was. Maybe was it the opening scene and then it went to the music credit scene with more background going on to show you how time passed along. I was just something weird about this one. And like I said, I think I was watching it last night for a little bit and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch an hour of it. And then as I was watching it, I'm like, did I fall asleep? Did I miss something? What's going on here? Who's this guy they're after now? Why is he changed? I didn't really get that part. Maybe it's just me. I don't think it was just you, Pat. 50 minutes into the movie, and this is what I wrote on my nose. 50 minutes in, this movie feels weird. Okay. I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if I wanted just a more simple revenge plot or something. or I'm not, I'm not sure what it was. So I'll kind of piggyback and go into a new one, I guess. We've already seen Bond go rogue before. That wasn't new. M played it well. She came in and she was very, she was pretty cold to Bond. It's like, you're not useful to me. And your license is revoked and you got to get your head together. And then she like, oh, oops, oops, he escaped. They didn't send anyone after him or anything. And then like later on in the movie, just like, oh yeah, so tell me what you know. Like, (laughs) so she already knew he was going to do that anyway. Yeah. I kind of like that, though. I mean, I like that part about it. I guess I don't because it's been done before. And, of course, after this is, what, the 20th movie? Yeah, there are going to be some familiar tropes. I think that they shouldn't use that one again since they literally had a movie called License to Kill that was called License Revoked. And the whole thing was about James Bond losing his license because he was going to be too unstable. And then now they just kind of did it. And it's like, oopsie, you lost your license. We're still going to let you run loose and kill people and stuff. And then we'll run you back in because we should do that with skilled secret agents. Okay, I'm going to defend the movie a little bit here. I never thought I'd say this, but <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. <laughs> and this is my take on it. I could be totally wrong, but I think M was in a tough predicament and the whole purpose of michael madsen's nsa character being there was to show that the u.s was getting involved in this and pressuring her so i think she had to take action against 007 yet she still knew that 007 was her best asset to figure out what was going on and in that conversation she had with miranda frost the way i interpreted it She was saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You're professional. You're on time. You don't have affairs. And the fact that there is nothing wrong with you plants a seed of doubt that there is something wrong with you. Like we said in the Intel business, the brighter the picture, the darker the negative. And so I think that she was using Bond in her way. I like how that whole dynamic played out, at least as I interpreted it. And admittedly, I could be interpreting it completely wrong. Jared, do you have something to add on that? No, I agree with Jason on his M assessment, but I do want to address something that both you and Pat said. I think the reason this movie feels weird and different is this is the 20th film celebrating the 40th anniversary. It came out 40 years after Dr. No. And I think they were so focused on making that due date and putting all the references in the movie to make it the 20th anniversary movie with their winks and their nods and to make that due date. There's a lot of time pressure. There's a lot of things they wanted to include that they lost focus on the story. And I think that's why it feels weird. What recent movie did you say there was production issues with that? Was that Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. Now, sometimes my attention to detail isn't the greatest. And I said I didn't really notice 
really any huge disjointed things in there. And it seemed like there were a lot in this movie where it would just abruptly jump to something else. And you're kind of left to figure out why the heck did they even jump to it? And you had to kind of figure it out a few minutes into it. It it just came across as a little bit weird. I, I don't know. I'll tell you this. Anytime a James Bond movie has attempted to copy the style of another movie instead of setting its own style, it suffers. And this movie came out when the Fast and Furious craze was hitting. And they tried to You just, yeah, you took my next thought. Go with it. Run with it, brother. (laughs) You know what? No, I'm going to hand it to you. Take it from here. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing, specifically with the car chase scene. Yup. They tried to copy onto Fast and Furious instead of doing what makes Bond movies successful and setting the trends. They started trying to follow trends on this one. And that really irked me significantly. Hmm. Yeah, there were a couple of times in the movie where they were doing that. You know how like they used to do the fights back in the day, that stop and then speed them up action? Mm-hmm. They were doing the new age version of that where they'd slow it down and speed it up. And I'm like, why are they doing this? Yeah, I found it distracting too. Did you guys notice that? Like when, uh, I don't even know the character's name or whatever. It's the one guy that he broke out of the... Zal? With the diamonds in his face? Yeah, with the diamonds in his face. Okay. But he's got like a kind of like a jacket and a cape. And then when he's about to ready to start torturing Halle Berry, they do like flutter. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of slowed that down there. And like, what? (laughs) Style (laughs) for no reason. Yeah. It's like, where did that come from? Why? Yeah. Yes, you're wearing a cape. We're all very impressed. <laughs> I've been, I've been like, I was like, was there something wrong with the DVD or something? Is... No, no, there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> nothing technically. Nothing wrong technically with wrong with your DVD player. <laughs> oh what, man! What do you guys think of Halle Berry's character? I liked it, but after seeing John Wick three, there's so so much more they could have done. I noticed that they went out of their way to give her a Honey Rider moment. Yes, they mm-hmm. did. That was one, yes. of the, one of those 20th anniversary throwback things. I would not have known that had I not gone and watched Doctor No. So I never would have known that. And then I remember. I don't know, seeing that with Halle Berry or whatever, but seeing her come out of the water like that, you know, looking all beautiful and stuff. She was certainly lovely. And again, she had good action scenes, but there were a couple of times where she was delivering her lines yeah. where, like, I mean, she almost could have just stopped at the camera and winked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The line delivery in that movie is painful. It's very Christmas Jones. And again, let's not forget that, you know, the writers play a role in that. I, I want to blame Halle Berry, much like I want to blame, blame oh. Christmas Jones. But the lines she were given, some of them were just bad. The lines where her and uh, Brosnan or her and Bond were coming on to each other is like, no one talks like this. <laughs> I got where they were going and everything, but I'm just like, ugh. It felt like that scene was written by like two 15-year-old boys. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she said, <laughs> and she's like, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and so I was like, do you want to do it? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. touch her boob. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. <sighs> so, yeah, to answer your question, Pat, like, she had her hits and misses. I thought some of her dialogue was a little bit stiff. I did think she was good in a pinch. But so let me let me mention this only because I, I guess this small little bit of air of authenticity that I can provide. When she revealed that she was working for NSA, I'm like, okay, I, I worked for NSA for about a year and a half. <laughs> I never saw her. What's somebody <laughs> like Halle Berry? <laughs> Walking through the hallways. I don't quite know how Halle Berry would fit into anything that happened in the movie. At all. Period. Yeah, but did you see that body? <laughs> <laughs> they did talk fairly seriously about giving her a spinoff movie after this movie came out. Yeah. A Jinx really? spinoff. And I was like, as I watched this movie and I saw her doing sort of her action and physical scenes, it was pretty good. And then like Jason said, once I saw John Wick, kind of part of me was like, eh, Jinx series could have been all right. Yeah. Purvis and Wade had actually written the script and they'd hired a director. But then that uh, Charlie's Angels full throttle tanked at the box office and the studio got cold feet. It was that one and Tomb Raider. So a couple they of both uh, lady action films tanked and they got scared. Yeah, they got cold feet and backed off. Yeah, they also would have had to completely make up anything cool and sexy out of the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a high. The car was really cool. Yeah, yeah that was cool. That's yeah. a good looking car, isn't it? And it was so cool that they even had James Bond who was kind of doing his back and forth riff with Q. Because first he was like, okay, I don't see anything. And then like when Q hit the button and showed the car, he was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a sign that that was a dang cool car. Even Bond was like, yeah, I dig this. I dig this a lot. I was waiting, though. I was like, okay, they're going to do this. Is somebody going to run into this? What if somebody ran into this? Thing? I thought the same thing. And somebody like- did. <laughs> Yeah, and then the guy did it with that snowmobile. (laughs) I will say, you know, for Halle Berry, the one scene that I liked with her was at the doctor's office in that genetics lab in Cuba. Mm -hmm. Her acting range was really good there. The doctor was talking about basically experimenting on the homeless and everything. You could see, like, the look of sadness in her eyes when he's not facing her. And then when he comes back and, like, puts his hand on her, she just, like, snaps back and rips off the check, gives it to him, kind of gives him that coquettish smile, and then makes that... Jason, behave. (laughs) Jason told his whole story to work coquettish. I don't even know what that means. That's a big word. Kind of like this, this, this sly, like flirtful smile, and then she says that line: uh, "All great artists aren't famous till after they're dead." And then she just cooks that fool. I just like the different ranges of emotion through that scene. I thought she did a really good job. I'm trying to be positive, man. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> so while you're doing that, it's not fair to the listeners if we've kind of hinted at some of the things that we might not like about the movie to not say them particularly when it comes to ratings, because I'm going to be giving this thing a rating, so I got to at least justify why. So here's a low. Yeah, let's do a poop Uh, round. Everybody get your poops out. Get your poops out. I'll have a couple then. Like, okay, so there's the fight between Graves and Bond, that fencing fight. I like that. You didn't like that? I like the fencing fight. No, it was. I kind of like that. No, seventy-five percent of the show likes the fencing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it went a little bit longer, but it's just like, yeah, like not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fence you. I'm so tough. 
Really? Our buddies. Oh, now we're going to break out the real knives. Now it's a knife fight. It, I don't know. It came across as very weak to me. I didn't like it. I got what was going on there trying to establish male dominance. And I guess since this is outside of the 17th century, no one really establishes male dominance through fencing. I did it yesterday. <laughs> I stabbed a fool. Yeah. It's a more elegant weapon for a more elegant, elegant time. time. Civilized day. I, I, I guess I'm just saying that I think fencing is a little coquettish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think three fourths of this show like the fencing scene. And I like because it did that patented Pierce Brosnan dive down the stairs that, somersault. That was move. a cool time. I know. I like yes. that. Too. <laughs> I was like, man, I want to try that, but I would break my <laughs> so bad. <laughs> <laughs> It just looks cool when he does it. All right. I don't know. That was a light poop, Delvin. Pat, give us a firm return, man. There was a few things here, but what really got me, kind of took me even out of the film a little bit more, was when he started kind of windsurfing. And you can just tell that was like really bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, like, yeah. You got it. That too. True story. Roger <laughs> Moore watched that movie and said, that's just silly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that this is the man that did Octopussy, man. <laughs> That's just dude, he did a view to a kill. He did Moonraker. <laughs> you could have put a bat shark in there and sprayed some bat repellent, and it would yeah. not make that scene any campier. Yeah, that was just bad. I'm like, okay, you have all this other awesome technology, and you did it on the car, and then you, you, you crap out on this part? Yeah, I'm with you. That was one of my poo-poo moments. Jared, while we're doing this, throw one of yours out, man. Just throw it out there. It's cleansing. This is this is good for us. It's healthy. Well, you guys kind of picked mine, my big bugaboos. I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I guess I'm being anti-poop at this point, but as I watched it this time, I thought to myself, you know, about 80% of this movie I like. The 20% I don't. Okay, I got one for you. I got one. The final battle, we already talked about the Vaughn versus Gustav Graves and his spy gear equipment that you can get at Walmart. It was <laughs> a little bit silly, but it got especially silly when that plane flew through that big old laser. Oh, and nothing happened to <laughs> and it? Basically, it just kept it's, on flying. <laughs> like, yeah. that, was like a, that was like a Looney Tunes moment. It was like the bones of the plane just still going. <laughs> so I was like, this is a little, I don't know. And just it, overall, the movie felt disjointed. And I go back to my argument. I think they were trying to make a timetable and try to squeeze in winks and nods and things like that. But all right, I'm going anti-poop. I want to talk about one more good thing about this movie that a lot of people overlook. If you are a scores guy, like I'm a James Bond scores guy, listen to the scores. Mm -hmm. This one is really good. The, it is. Yeah. Yes. The, the score that David Arnold did on this one is incredible. I highly encourage you guys to check it out at some point. There's some tracks on there where like he does these really up-tempo beats, sound real cool and jazzy, and he'll weave in like little sound effects from Dr. No. Oh, man, it's cool. Yeah, I definitely heard some like from Russia with yep. love in there a couple some times. Russia with love cues. It is fun to listen to. There's a lot of cool like Hispanic beats when he goes to Cuba that Joanna really likes those tracks as well. Like James Bond music with that Hispanic flavor. Dude, it's it's a good score. I know I just screwed up the poop round, but. That's all right. That's all right. I'm going to bring another uh, a little high up here. And I really like Money Penny. Yeah, she was good. Yeah. <laughs> She got her little moment at the. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Okay, so did did they fool you? Oh, no, a little bit, rookies. No, it didn't. <laughs> so you knew she was in the in the machine. Well, it was too on the nose, and then it was just disjointed to me because I'm like, 
I don't know. I, the movie was basically over, and then they just said, well, let's just throw this one part in that had nothing to really do with the movie at all. I don't know. I didn't like it. I, again, I think we hit the 40th anniversary in the 20th movie, and they were like, we're going to give a Bond kissing Money Penny scene because the audience has waited for 40 years to see it. I could have waited 40 more. <laughs> uh, hang on, doing the math. I don't think you're going to make it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, I kind of talked to Delvin there, so it did it did fool you a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I was like, okay, he's coming back, and you know, she's That's there. I thought maybe you know, it's like so much had happened to him. You know, fourteen months passed. You know, mm-hmm. maybe uh, you know they decided, oh, you know, I missed you so much, and but then once they started taking it a little bit further. I'm like, okay, well, something's not right. What's happening here? And then, then we found out what happened. So, <laughs> And John Cleese did that perfect little John Cleese look to, to finish that scene. Yeah. yeah oh, it, was, it was interesting, but I'm like, oh, like Delvin said too, it's like, okay, why did that need to be in there? But I wanted to mention one thing, and I'm basically done after this. I, I kind of guessed the thing I didn't, like it was, I didn't know what, I was like, wait a minute, what's the catch here? But then the other one was Miranda's double cross. Mm-hmm. I guess if for no other reason I saw it coming because they didn't introduce any other characters. <laughs> Only one suspect. <laughs> yes. It was, it was either going to be her or uh, Michael Madsen's character. One yeah. or the other. Okay. Yeah, I guess it. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, the big mystery of the movie. And one of the big reveals was kind of, I don't know, a dud. Because it couldn't have really been anybody else but... Miranda. That's a very good point. Good point, very good point. At the end of the day, my biggest pooper, though, is when it went Fast and Furious. I was just like, nah. Yeah, so what I was you, really frustrated. So go a little bit into detail about that, if you don't mind. What do you mean by that? I'm down for a souped-up car versus souped-up car James Bond chase, but they got, to me, it just got a little too over-the-top Fast and Furious. You know, all the spinning around on the ice. Okay, it's Iceland, but, like, the dude's car had, like, uh, an attack fork on the front. Uh, like, yeah, his car was like all what you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and then like uh, their rockets were directly hitting each other's rockets in that chase scene. That, yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah. And then James Bond's car like ended up flipping over and 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 then flipped it back over the ejection seat, which eh, it's kind of cool to see that. I'll be honest with you, but like the car's like sliding and scraping across all this ice, and yet the adaptive camouflage still works. I'm like, no. <laughs> No, because as I love pointing out to Jason, that technology does exist. The micro cameras that project the other side. But after that, all that car went through, all those cameras would be damaged. It would, there's no way that thing would work. And I know I'm, I'm nitpicking a James Bond movie, but I don't know. It's just over the top. But I will say that I did, I did like the final death of Zhao because that was cool. Because yeah. James Bond was just so damn casual about it. He's like, I'm just going to drive through here, shoot down that chandelier, and oh, that guy's dead. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll say this about even the Fast and Furious moments, which I agree with you, I did not like. Pierce Brosnan does such an awesome job as James Bond just selling those. Because, like, just the coolness of, like, even oh, when yeah. he did did that ejection seat move, like, he didn't even break a sweat. He was like Neil Armstrong landing on the moon type cool, man. Yeah. He, he was a great Bond. I think we've talked ourselves into a solid six on this movie. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> Talking myself up, man. But I will say also those little uh, slow motion, unnecessary yeah. slow motion changes are fast and furious. Yeah. Influence, that type of stuff. And I can do without it. There will be one more Bond movie to come that I think borrows heavily from another franchise, and I think it suffers greatly because of it. 
I guess I wouldn't. I didn't even think about that when until you guys had mentioned that with the car chase and all that. Oh, yeah. This movie was an absolute response to the success of Fast and Furious. <laughs> I wouldn't even thought because I've never watched Fast and Furious. So I'm like, OK, when did this movie come out? 2002. 2002. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's the duh. it's the 40th anniversary. 2002. There was also that influence of. Hey, you think it's me, but it's someone else. I have plastic surgery. Surprise! That story had kind of been done a couple of times within the last couple of years, too. Like, say, War, for instance. Mm-hmm. 2007 War, the, which you can hear about on Action Film Face-Off at the Longbox Crusade Network. When was Face-Off? Yeah, that was like 90-something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like 98, I think. 98-ish. That's a good movie. Yeah, That was a good movie. Let's do that movie. <laughs> We're about to do face-off for action film face-off. <laughs> yeah, that's an action movie. There you go. All right, we're rebranding MI6 Rookie Agents to MI6 Only Face-Off. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I felt like it was just rushed. But hey, this isn't about me. It's about the rookies. Jason, take the show back. All right. Well, does anybody have any burning thoughts from here? Or should we go right into Double O Player and pass it to Pat? Pass it to Pat. Pat, you got it. Double O Player. All right, well, for a double O player, I got a count of two and a half. Okay. I think we, oh, no. we've already talked about it. So I've got uh, Jinx yeah. mm-hmm. and Frost and mm-hmm. then Money Penny. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, Stop it. it. Stop Quarter, it. Whatever. <laughs> Damn it, Pat. No. <laughs> Does anybody think he hooked up with that North Korean torture? <laughs> I just I was about to ask that same question. What are the odds that he had sex with that like, torture lady in North that's Korea? That's what I was thinking. He's like, hey, after we're done with the scorpion stinging now, what you doing? What you got going on? Let's get some kimchi. Me, you, some kimchi. <laughs> you gonna electrocute my nuts later. <laughs> Well done, agents. Now, real quick, let's have our veteran co-host weigh in on this one. Actually, he's done that the whole time. So let's. Have- <laughs> <laughs> I have one final thought. One final thought, and then give us them bomb bombs. As I watched this, I thought I really think Purvis and Wade wrote this at a bar. Starts off quite serious. Couple drinks in, we got some genetic manipulation. Few more drinks in, we're down to like lasers, ice palaces and and rocket cars and then come closing time we are full out fighting robocop on skeleton plane i think they just got progressively more drunk as they wrote this story but i'll leave it at that now for the bond bombs i got three so there's that book the 007 picks up from the cuban sleeper agent along with the revolver and the book was a field guide to the birds of the west indies and the author was James Bond. And that's where Ian Fleming, who was an avid bird watcher, got the idea for the name of his character. I love that. One of the most thoughtful gifts I think Johanna ever got from me. She got me a copy of uh, Field Guide to Birds of the West Indies. And I thought that was pretty cool. She got me that, that book is- by James Bond, where the character came from. When he pulls that out, do you see the name of the author? Or no. just the, just the I, title. And it kind of went by kind of fast. But. Yeah, I paused it, and I didn't, and, and maybe I paused it wrong, but I paused it to check, and I, all I saw was the title. Okay. I tried to see it, too, and I think his hand covers the author's name. Okay. So Bon Bon number two, Gustav Graves is played by Toby Stevens, and in the movie, when he parachutes into London, it's to be knighted. In real life, Toby Stevens' parents are both knights, uh, Sir Robert Stevens and Dame Maggie Smith, who you might 
might know from the Harry Potter series. That's his mom? Yep. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. But you did remind me of one more poop I'd like to take on this movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let me tell you something I hate, and I don't know why, and you guys will have to tell me if it's just me or if anybody else is on board, but like that scene where he parachutes in and James is going back to London and it's playing London calling and I'm just oh, like, yeah, stop. Yeah. Like, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Every yeah, that time, was another. Every time a pop song like California Girls or this shows up in a Bond movie, it just grates my nerves and I'm just like, ugh, don't. Yeah. Am I alone? I'm with you. Okay. Nope, you're not alone. Pat, you were I loved it. I thought the song was great. You shut up. Pat. I mean, I like the I like the song, but it I was like, like the song okay, too, yeah. That's a little out of place again. I don't like the song. I don't like the placement, and I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge poop right there. <laughs> it's like someone went and then had to go back running back again. <laughs> <laughs> I better throw out this third bomb bomb before things get really bad. I'm sorry, I got a little wound up. Proceed with the bomb bomb. <laughs> All right. So Pierce Brosnan got to be a real hero while filming the love scene in Cuba. That scene where Halle Berry and he are sharing the fig. She actually choked on the fig, and Pierce Brosnan had to do the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think it's still in there. Let me thrust again. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not even, even using your hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm not responsible enough to. I'm, I'm not making a joke on that. I, oh, are you gonna high road me now, Delvin? Uh, <laughs> come on, Delvin. I'm laying it I, I, out I, there for everybody. This, this one is only for me. Trust me. Oh. <laughs> it just high-roaded me for the first time in like 23 years. So with those 007 trivia nuggets safely touched away, <laughs> every time, it is time to have our rookie agent score this film. All right, gentlemen. So to recap, for those who might be listening for the first time, it's one to seven martinis, and it's a rating of enjoyability. So seven is, you loved it. It shook your martini. Six, it was excellent. Five, very good. Four, good. Three, eh, it's okay. Two, mm, not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini, and we don't do that. So who won the last trivia? It's been so long, I forget. It was me. All right, so we'll let Delvin go first. I won the one before that, too. All right. Well, to the victor goes the spoils. Okay. What are you giving this film, Delvin? <sighs> so, the movie was predictable, and it was kind of directionless. It lasted two hours, and it was somehow directionless. Two hours and 12 minutes, Delvin, but who's and, counting? Yeah, I can't say I enjoyed it a ton, and that might be the first time that I've ever said that about a Bond film. There were a few likable parts, but I think that this one was a miss for the franchise, and it was the worst by far of Brosnan's films. I'm at a two on this one. If it makes you feel any better, Pierce Brosnan himself said that this is his least favorite of the Bond films that he did. I wanted to get in at least just a few of the points that, for the most part, just feel like it was just an inconsistent movie, and, and it wasn't a lot of fun. And usually Bond movies have a bit of innovativeness, have a little bit of quirkiness. But overall, like you finish it and and even if you didn't fully understand what was going on, it was fun. And this one wasn't really fun. It was kind of a chore to get through. And I didn't even say that through any of the Roger Moore movies and some even 58 year old Roger Moore. I, I still had fun watching it. I didn't really have fun watching this one. That's the lowest one you've given. It you. is. Mm-hmm. We've it, never had it a two is. on the show. It's, I don't think we've had a two. All right. All right. I guess it's up to Pat. Pat, what are you thinking? I'm going to give it a three. It was 
eh, you know, it was all right. I got through it. So not going so low as a two, but no. giving it a three. Yeah. Some of the action parts were cool. The gadgets were cool. I like seeing the supporting cast, um, you know, so I was kind of waiting. So, oh, yeah, Charles shows up. I do like that guy. Yeah, he's kind of, he's a cool guy. I'd like to see more of him. I think he could be a cool, you know, agent. I would like to see him. Yeah, uh, see him wield a gun and everything. That was kind of cool. That was cool. I would like to see more of him in action. Yeah, I, I think he'd be a cool, you know, kind of character to see him, stuff that he does. Yeah, going with the three. All right. So we got a two from Delvin and a three from Pat. Back to you, Jared. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and now it's time to crown this episode's Double O Award winner. Pat and Delvin will do this by answering a series of trivia questions on Die Another Day. Delvin is our current two-time champion. <laughs> two-time, two-time! <laughs> and he gets to go first, but before we do that, let's take a quick break and thank our Patreon sponsors, and we will give it to the founder of the network, Mr. Van Allen Plexico, to give us that list. White Rocket Entertainment. As always, we have to pause here to thank our patrons, the folks who go beyond the call of duty of MI6 and On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, to help us bring you all these programs. You get the Bond Review Shows by Alan and me. You get Jared and his crew with the Rookie Agent Show. You get the Raymond Benson Music Reviews for the entire series, and so much more. And that's just on this particular channel of our network. We also do many other programs, including the White Rocket Podcast, and Alan and I do Open Wheel, covering Formula One and IndyCar racing. And all those shows exist because of the great support of patrons like Brendan O'Dwyer, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, and Carl Von Drunker, Trevor Johnson, Phil Amthor, Winston Boddy, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens, Ross, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, David Hegler, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, Spanky, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor Sanford, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Dave Powell, David Smiley, Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Brent Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, our one-time donors, including Surfer Jickify, and our anonymous donors. We thank you all. If you want to join their ranks and help this show and others on our network to keep going, just go to www.patreon.com and look up Van Allen Plexico or White Rocket, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the team and continue to help bring shows like this to the air and we thank you very much thank you van now if you'd like to help us get the number of that bizarrely hot north korean torture lady you too can help sponsor the show over at patreon.com just search that keyword plexico p-l-e-x-i-c-o and you can give as little as one dollar a month to help keep agent jason's tip up (laughs) (laughs) bond bombs and blue bombs huh i got you (laughs) 
And like those other folks whose names you just heard Van read off, you'll get a shout out on every episode of all White Rocket Entertainment shows, including this one. And as a Patreon, you'll also get behind the scenes, bonus material, all kinds of good stuff, everything that's going on at White Rocket, including our novels, comic books, and more. Back to you, Jason. Okay, let's find out who this mission's trivia double O award winner is going to be so he can lord it over the other guy until our next episode. Agent Jerry and I have each prepared three questions for a total of six. We'll take turns asking each of our contestants a question. He gets it right, that's a point. He gets it wrong, and his opponent has an opportunity for a steal. The most points get you the coveted double O award, a box of Cuban cigars, a lifetime supply of Scorpion anti-venom, and two hours alone with Q's hollow deck glasses. <laughs> While supplies last, not available in all areas, you got to clean up after yourself. Aww. <laughs> Let's start the segment we like to call Agents Under Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Delvin, you are the current champion. Looking for that three-peat, that hat trick. We've answered a lot of these trivia questions in discussion tonight, so the fickle finger of fate will land on you as to what order you want to go in. So you want to go first or second? Second. Second. Pat, who's going to read for you? We're going with Jason. Okay. Jason's <laughs> reading for Pat. Pat is going first. I am reading for Delvin. So take it away, Jason. Pat, what creature did the North Koreans use to torture Bond? Ooh, scorpion. You got it. Woohoo! Delvin. Yes. What was the name of Gustav Graves' satellite? Icarus. Correct. All right, Pat. Going into medium round. It's good scary here because, you know. It's getting tougher. What item did M send to Bond to invite him to the underground station for abandoned agents? Ooh. A key? I'm paying attention in this movie. <laughs> Delvin, you chose wisely as far as the order of questions goes. Because your question is, what organization does Jinx work for? Oh. <laughs> the fake NSA. <laughs> the, the bizarre branch of the NSA or the hot women all. <laughs> incorrect. It's not fake. <laughs> Real. All right, Pat, we're going into the hard round here. When the movie got all fast and furious, what make a car was Zhao driving? Ooh, hey, we were nice, man. It's just the make. The make? Yeah. What mm -hmm. company made it? Company made his car. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. BMW? Delvin, you got a chance for a steal, my friend. Pat, for what is worth, BMW was my guess, dude. <laughs> I, I, I was... If it makes you both feel better, I got it wrong, too. So when we were testing these out. <sighs> Ferrari. It's a Jaguar. <laughs> Your Jaguar was better than my Jaguar. <laughs> okay, Delvin, get this right or we're going to the bonus rounds. No, I would win. No, no but if you, you get it if right. If you get it right, you win. Or if not, or we, gotta... we may be bonus rounds or, or pack and seal it. You know what? Anything can happen. Just get this right. Oh, okay, I'll do my best. All right. I think I got. I think you got this, okay? Name... Just one of the former film gadgets that Bond plays with in the underground Q Branch lab. But you also have to name the movie that it came from. 
And I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna give you a, a hint. He actually played nah, it. No, 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 no. I got yelled at when I gave hints. Okay. But you gave him. Okay, fine. That is true. He's still gonna get right, so it's fine. And Lord knows you y'all you talked about every single one of them, so that makes it even worse that I'm blanking on it. I can think of two that he physically touched. This was the hint I was going to give him. I was going to tell him there was three. He touched three of them. That wasn't even a great hint. <laughs> My hints are way better than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, geez. The underwater breathing device from Thunderball. Not get played with in the underground lair. Uh, Ooh, I think uh, I got oh, this. I got oh, it. Oh, about to swipe this. Okay, please ask me. Go ahead. All right, here we go. Name just one of the former film gadgets that Bond plays with in the underground two-branch lab. You have to name it and the movie it came from. And what happens if I... Do I win if I get this? You do. You do win if you get this. Okay. Mm, let me see. Oh, he's dragging it out. Yes. <laughs> I am going to say Jetpack from Thunderball. Oh, 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 oh. Win a chicken dinner. Chicken dinner. Redeems himself. If you want oh. to know the other two. Jason, what, you you got one other one? You know what the other I remember one? I remember he picked up the shoe from from Russia with Love, the knife shoe. He did. Mm-hmm. And right oh, before that, he hit the briefcase with the dagger that came out also from Russia with Love. Ah, that's right. That's right. Yep. I'm a winner. Well then, congratulations to Pat. Be sure to do the right and proper thing and lord this victory over Delvin until you meet again in the field next episode. You want it. You keep it, old buddy. Now for our final segment of the show entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, our rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question they brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. So let's get going with Return Fire. <laughs> This never happened to the other fellow. All right, Pat, what do you got? What was the ice bed in the shape of? A swan. You're correct. Woohoo! Delvin. By uh, what two schools did Colonel, what's his name? Colonel Bad Guy. Good stuff. Colonel Bad Guy. Where did he study? I know one of them's Harvard, and the other one's in England. Ox- Oxford. Oxford. There you go. Harvard and Oxford. Yes. Why <laughs> <laughs> am I the only one excited? <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be Jason, too. <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> Well, nicely done, guys. Agent Jared, what do we have in the eyes-only mailbag this week? What, no small talk? No chit-chat? Ooh, boy. Strap it in, boys. Thank you, Jason. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. And if you'd like, you can use that email, ohmspod at outlook.com, and send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We might even play it on the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. And while the algorithm is cool and all that, we just really like hearing from you. 
So by all means, if you got a few minutes, go ahead and click on that show on iTunes and go down to give us a rating. Five stars would be great. And then let us know what you think. And as a reward for leaving a review, we'll read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. But let's get to our regular feedback segments. And we're going to kick it off where we always kick it off with Q's research and development team, better known as RAD, for their RAD thoughts on Bond. So here we have our fellow podcasters and friends of the show, Ruth and Darren, from their Rad Adventures podcast network. Now, like I said, normally Rad stands for Ruth and Darren, but here on our show, it stands for research and development. So let's get to this episode's Rad Thoughts on Bond. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're with Research and Development Q Branch, and we're here to share our thoughts about Die Another Day. 2002 was a double anniversary for James Bond with the release of Die Another Day. It was the 20th official film in the series, and the movie was released for the 40th anniversary of the franchise. To celebrate the anniversary, gadgets and props from every previous film are included in the scene between 007 and the Quartermaster, including the jetpack from Thunderball, which is shown prominently. John Cleese even comments that he's giving Bond his 20th watch, to reference it being the 20th official film. There are many other anniversary tributes in the movie, including Halle Berry's bikini with the wide belt and knife that is similar to the one worn by Ursula Andress in Dr. No. Sadly, though, the anniversary was bittersweet, as the film had a mixed reception from both fans and critics. There was overall praise for the plot and lavish production, but the film was criticized for the heavy use of CGI that made parts of the film look artificial and unconvincing. Even feelings about the opening theme were mixed, as it received nominations for Best Song from the Grammys and Golden Globes, while also receiving a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Song. In the end, the general consensus was that the first half of the film delivers classic Bond thrills, while the second half of the film seems a bit over the top. Pierce Brosnan was again praised for his performance, with critics and fans liking the gritty first part of the movie that gave Brosnan a chance to play a tough and resourceful Bond that fans wanted to see more. The film was financially successful yet again and became the highest-grossing 007 film at the time. Halle Berry's character of Jinx was so popular that a spin-off film was contemplated, as had been considered with Michelle Yeoh's character of Wei Lin from Tomorrow Never Dies. However, once again, a spin-off never occurred. However, the fanciful parts of the film spoiled things for some fans, with the Ice Palace sequence, Bond surfing off the side of a glacier, and the invisible car being frequently cited by fans as reasons they don't like the movie. Even Roger Moore criticized the film, saying, I thought it just went too far. And that's for me, the first Bond in space. Following the film, Pierce Brosnan himself called for a back-to-basics approach to the next movie and suggested filming Casino Royale, which Eon had finally acquired the rights to in 1999. Producers liked his idea, and that was planned for the next film. However, despite the critical praise for Brosnan's Bond and the financial success of his films, the producers decided to replace him and reboot the series at the same time. This brought Pierce Brosnan's time as James Bond to an abrupt end, which ironically makes Brosnan the only Bond actor not to leave the role by his own choice, even though his films had been successful and his performance had been critically praised. It was definitely a sad way to end the tenure of one of the best James Bond actors. And now it's time for 007 Hits and Misses, when we share our thoughts on two low points and seven high points in the film. You might expect us to mention the invisible car or the ice palace sequence as lows, but those aren't lows for us. 
Both are actually based in reality, with the Ice Palace based on snow and ice hotels that can be found in countries including Norway, Sweden, and Finland, while the invisible car was based on technology being developed at the time by the U.S. military. So while we understand some fans don't like those two things, we honestly think they're fine. For me, the low is definitely Bond falling from the side of the glacier and then parasurfing to safety. The CGI effects are so bad that it doesn't look remotely realistic, and the producer should have done something different. And my low is probably the use of DNA therapy to transform someone's appearance. Unlike the invisible car in the Ice Palace, I always felt that part of the film was completely unbelievable. DNA therapy at the time aimed to correct a faulty gene to cure a disease. While this definitely isn't our favorite Pierce Brosnan outing as James Bond, the movie is still good fun and there are many high points in the film. Number 7. The opening sequence sets up the plot well and it's filled with great action and the opening credits are unique as they provide a continuation of the plot, showing Bond enduring 14 months of imprisonment and torture. Number 6. I really like Rosamund Pike as Miranda Frost. This was her first film outing following a few TV appearances. I think she does a great job with a character that makes her betrayal a surprise. And I like that her name is Frost, and she's on assignment in Iceland, and I like Bond telling her she must feel right at home. Number 5. I think that it's realistic that officials would have been suspicious of Bond upon his return from North Korea, and I like the sequence that follows, including his escape from the hospital. I particularly like that we see Bond is prepared for any eventuality with safe houses in various cities, and I like the way he calmly and confidently walks into the hotel to check in, despite his appearance. Number four. I like the meetup between Bond and M and the London Underground. It's fun to think about them having a hidden station, and it makes me think of the private subway used by Tanaka in You Only Live Twice. Number three. The spectacular chase between the Aston Martin and the Jaguar on the frozen lake in Iceland. The stunts are amazing, and it's fun to see two gadget-filled cars compete in a James Bond film. We've been lucky to see both vehicles, the Aston Martin at the Bond in Motion Museum in London and the Jaguar at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. Number two, the many great filming locations, including Hong Kong and Iceland, and especially the Eden Project in Cornwall, England, that is incorporated into the Ice Palace sequences with great visual effect. The Eden Project consists of stunning geodome structures that are massive greenhouses and hold thousands of exotic plants. And number one is the excellent sword fight between James Bond and Gustav Graves. While the scene can't top the spectacular sword fight from my favorite film, The Princess Bride, it's still a great fight. I like the way it grows in intensity and pace and the way it spills over into other locations as both take whatever sword they can get hold of during the heated exchange. It's an exciting sequence and shows the determination of both Bond and Graves. It's a terrific scene. Thanks to our friends, Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat for letting us share our thoughts. Remember, we're RAD, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. And research and development. All right, we got a lot of send-ins tonight, so we're going to go with just the one response. And Delvin, I'm feeling this one going to you. Yep, another solid job by Ruth and Darren. Sorry, I guess I'm in a minority about the uh, sword fight. I just, I don't know, just didn't agree with that. But I, of course, always appreciate uh, their comments. Next audio file up, we are going to hear from, oh, let's just pick one at random. Let's hear from Agent R, Matt Robbenheimer, South Africa, our, our man in South Africa. Let's see what he's got for us. Hi, guys. Matt Robbenheimer here, and I'm here to talk about Die Another Day. Die Another Day. Well, this was actually the very first Bond movie that I ever saw in the cinema. 
so it has a tiny bit of nostalgia working in its favor. And there are a few little things that I like about it. The pre-title sequence is pretty good. I enjoy the scene of the prisoner exchange in North Korea. And some of the Cuba stuff is alright as well. I kind of like that ally character, Raul. But whereas with most Bond movies I want to spend all my time talking about the positives, the things that I love about the movie, Dine of the Day really brings out the negative side in me. There's just loads of stuff in this movie that I really don't like. For example, pointless gimmicks like the CGI bullet whizzing down the gun barrel. Unnecessary slow and sped up footage. Harsh electronic sounds in the soundtrack. And all that CGI, especially kite surfing the tsunami. Right, Ross, we're gonna do kite surfing. Tsunamis today. <laughs> oh, and I know you can't see it, but this review actually includes an Aston Martin Vanquish as well. We call it The Vanish. Everything seems to sort of fall apart in the second half of the movie. We've got dumb dialogue like... I'm Mr. Kill. Well, there's a name to die for. Who sent you? Your mama. And I don't even like the way that they worked in the title into the dialogue. So you live to die another day. <laughs> so to sum up then, this really is my least favorite of the 24 Bond movies that we've had so far. I love Pierce Brosnan, but the films at this point were going down a road that was really not leading anywhere good. Good job, Agent R. Pat, this one's on you. Yeah, I kind of agree with him. <laughs> not one of your favorites. Lowest nope, score not one of my had. favorites. Yep, we covered the CGI and stuff like that. So, yep, I think you will agree with what we said, too, as well. I forgot about that CGI bullet. He's right. I could do without that, too. I would have to say I, I very like the editing and the yes. um, publishing that he did with his yes. segment. His so, production value is well definitely, definitely on the rise. <laughs> yes, definitely well done, Agent R. She didn't die right away. Took a bit of time. All right, Jason, I'll tell you what. You can pick your own sound clip. You want Agent I, you want our new one, Royce the Voice, you want Agent Z, you want our junior agents, or you want Bond Complex? Let me try this Royce the Voice guy. How about it? hear what Royce the Voice has I to think say. I've got him called Agent Voice. So let's yeah. listen to Agent Voice. It's our buddy Royce the Voice sending in for the first time. Hey, y'all, this is Royce from San Antonio with a 30-second review of Die Another Day. I decided to forego going with the full Don Zouderman-esque production with the theme song in the background because Die Another Day from Madonna is, in my opinion, the worst Bond theme song by quite a margin. Now, I'm really calling to address uh, Mr. Darkweb, a.k.a. Mr. Silverhands. Delvin, do not, I repeat, do not rate this higher than For Your Eyes Only. Thanks for the many laughs and all the bonderoderie with the podcast. Thanks, guys. I didn't rate it higher than what was it? What which which song are you guys keep whining about? For your eyes only. <laughs> For your eyes only. Oh, you know what? I'm tempted to go back and rate it a six just to tick everybody off. How about that? Wait, was he talking the song or the film? You know, I don't the, know. The song probably because I like the song because he, song. because he was saying that he thinks that. Die another day. The song is by far the worst Bond song, and said, "Don't I don't oh. I better not rate it over for your eyes only." 
Were you oh, okay. even listening to the clip, Jason? Well, I was, but but I got that he didn't like the song, but then I thought he was saying Delvin. I thought he meant don't rate the film higher than for your eyes only. That's how I I, I, I picked that up too because because Jason jumped all over Delvin for his low rating on for your eyes only the film especially. Yes, I think we all rated the the song for your eyes only pretty high if I remember right. For your eyes only was the one I said was pretty, but it wasn't like exact. I didn't exactly think it was a Bond song, right? Maybe. Probably. <laughs> yes, and, and, you, and you ranted about it for like the next three months. Like, no, I ranted about the film. You didn't rate the film high. That's what I was upset about. No, it was the song. Uh, too. I'm, I'm Team Jason on this one, he ranted about the film because you gave it a four. <laughs> yeah, that's a bull crap. Right <laughs> oh, no, start, start it all up. You know what? Just feeling, Thanks for I'm sending in Royce. At you. <laughs> nice talking to you, Royce. <laughs> Royce, Look what you did, look Royce. What you've done. You did Jason all thirty I seconds. I want to know what his production value is if he's not trying to be like Zoderman. Who can be like Zoderman, man? No, nobody. Nobody. One of a kind. Okay, I'll do my due diligence, and we'll hear from Agent Z. Hello, rookie agents. This is Don Zuiderman calling in from the Netherlands, and you have reached Die Another Day. And I want to talk to you about the fourth film of a Bond actor, because there's an interesting trend noticeable. First of all, the actor pretty much nails the role of James Bond in his very first film. Secondly, most people consider the third film to be the one in which the actor seems most confident or relaxed in the role. And thirdly, the fourth film of an actor tends to be the one that pushes things a little bit too far in the way of fantasy or science fiction. Think about it. Sean Connery goes from Dr. No to From Russia With Love to Goldfinger and then to Thunderball. My dear Prime Minister... Two atomic bombs, numbers 456 and 457, which were aboard NATO Flight 759, are now in the possession of Spectre. Roger Moore goes from Live and Let Die to The Man with the Golden Gun to The Spy Who Loved Me and then to Moonraker. First there was a dream. Now there is reality. Here, in the untainted cradle of the heavens, will be created a new super race, a race of perfect physical specimens. And now Piers Brosnan goes from GoldenEye to Tomorrow Never Dies to The World Is Not Enough and here ends with Die Another Day. Let there be light. I give you Icarus! Now, I believe you can see this trend as well with the Daniel Craig films, but you haven't reached those yet for this podcast, so I'll leave those films out of this contribution. So, looking at the first four films of Connery, Moore, and Brosnan, do you agree with this trend? And what are your thoughts and opinions on it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just coincidence? Am I seeing things that aren't there? And lastly, if you had to pick three films, one Connery, one Moore, and one Brosnan, that you wanted to show to someone who doesn't know anything about James Bond, kind of like how you guys started prior to this podcast series, which three films would you pick? And why those three? All right, gentlemen, that's it for now. 
This is Don Zuidemann signing out. Agent Z, I got the answers to your questions, buddy. I do see a trend. I think the fourth one, now that you pointed out, I don't know that I ever saw it before, but those fourth films push the boundaries a little bit more uh, than the, the first three from each actor. So I don't think you're crazy. And to answer your other question, if I had to pick one from each of those three actors to share with someone who doesn't know Bond, I would pick Goldfinger from mm-hmm. Connery. Yep. I would pick Spy Who Loved Me from Roger Moore. And I'd pick Goldeneye for Pierce Brosnan. Not even necessarily my favorites. So, well, Gold, yeah, Goldfinger's my favorite Connery, and Goldeneye's my favorite Brosnan. My favorite Roger is Free Eyes Only, but I feel like Spy Who Loved Me is the best, most of flavorful, like the one that samples the best of the totality of the Roger Moore era, if that makes any sense. I would say that Thunderball is no more crazy than Goldfinger. Both have atomic weapons. One had some outlandish plan to, like, nerve gas all of Fort Knox and and irradiate the gold supply. I think in terms of outlandishness, they're about on par. I think Moonraker is an oddity because Free Your Eyes Only was actually supposed to be the next one, but they were cashing in on Star Wars. So I don't know if you could really count that one. And I would say that Pierce Brosnan was comfortable as James Bond right out of the gate. I bought into him right away the moment he stepped on screen and Goldeneye. We got Jeff and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents being the junior agents, or as we like to call them, Delvin. Rusty agents. Rusty agents. Good evening, agents. This is Rick from the Junior Mission Control Center, also known as Jeff and Rick Presents. I'm providing this week's field report on the film Die Another Day from the junior agents stationed in the Pacific Northwest with a special agent currently assigned in Virginia. As usual, I surprised my fellow junior agent Jeff and special in-training agent Tim Price during the recording of our regular podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, with a pop quiz in the middle of our script. Their answers are not prepared. Sweet free pebbles. <laughs> How did I allow another parody singer on my show? But wait, that opening splash page makes me think of something. Maybe the Bond, James Bond opening? Yeah. Pop quiz, hot shots. It's time for another field report for the MI6 rookie agents. No, they make fun of me because I'm dumb. <laughs> and this time, we're talking about Pierce Brosnan's final film as James Bond, Die Another Day. This film also stars Haley Berry as Jinx Johnson, Toby Stevens as Gustav Graves, and Judy Dench as M. Did you know that this was supposed to be the backdoor introduction to a film series starring Jinx? Well, it was. My question for you, gentlemen, is can you name for me five other film franchises that actually spun off a new film? Catwoman with Halle Berry. <laughs> it spun off the entire extended DC universe. No. Yes. Wrong. You sure? Yep. I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> pretty sure you're wrong. Okay, so oh, movies that spun off other movie yeah, franchises. A film, a film franchise that spun off an actual new film outside of that franchise. Hmm. Tim? Mm, I'm coming up a whole lot of empty. I keep remember when Tommy Lee Jones played that Marshall in Fugitive, and then they made a sequel about the Marshals that had nothing to do with the movie The Fugitive. I it's that came to mind along those lines. It's along those lines, except that I wouldn't really call The Fugitive a film franchise. Okay, but oh, no, that no, 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 would no, no. be a spinoff. That would be a spinoff, though. What about the Harry Potter films with the uh, Fantastic Beasts? Yes, Harry Potter and the Magical Beast and Where to Find Them. Boom, I got one. All right. Okay, Okay. now we got four more to go. Um, 
Well, Rogue One was really a spinoff from the Star Wars films. Yeah. Yes. I was going to ask if those were going to count. Star Wars and Rogue One. That's another one. That's two. Okay. Oh, I haven't watched hmm. enough movies lately. I'm going to... I'm completely dogged on this one. I have a two-year-old. I am just as dumb and as tired and as angry as I've ever been in my life. So <laughs> that's my excuse on most of this. I know there's got to be more. Oh, I yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. There obviously yeah. is. Yeah. Come on. There's at least two more comic book themed movies you guys oh, can pull uh, up. Oh, that's what I was going to say is uh, Wolverine Origins branched off into Deadpool. Well, the X-Men movies branched off the Wolverine movies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right, so right, you mean, right. you mean the Wolverine movies were labeled the X-Men movies. It's probably some kid droid movie that is branched into something else. There are, I've got a couple of kid movies on here. Okay. Hmm. okay. Uh, oh, uh, Mad Max, uh, franchise branched off into reality, which isn't right now. <laughs> And I think we're going to call it there. It's funny because it's That's a good place true. to end it. Uh, there's also... Trans- it's sad because it's true. There's also Transformers and oh. Bumblebee. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> there's also coming out coming out, uh, coming out, out theaters now, uh, the Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, yeah. That looks ridiculous. There's also uh, the Cars movies. They spin off planes. Oh, oh yeah. And then Despicable oh, Me yeah. and the Minions. Uh, thank you guys very much for playing along with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You are rusty a, agent. A cruel, Check it out. Cruel man. <laughs> Training as always will continue in the field until our junior agents are able to handle any situations. Thank you for accepting our reports. Until next time, junior agents signing out. Okay, so the question is: Do you think he killed Jeff or did he kill Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's tried to kill Jeff, but like he keeps winging him or something because he keeps coming back for more. So, I guess he killed Tim? <laughs> Rest Man. in peace, Tim. Oh, well, I'm really going to miss his really long emails that he sends us to our other shows. <laughs> I will remember you. <laughs> okay, I don't like sneaking Tim Price onto any of my shows. We got we got backdoor Tim Price on this show. <laughs> sneaky Tim. Sneaky Tim. That's sneaky Tim. Nice to hear from them. That's always fun. Delvin, this was officially yours, so if you got anything else, I'll pull up the next one. We don't make fun of Jeff because he's dumb. It's because he's fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and dumb. Yeah. And dumb. But so are but we. Fun. <laughs> dumbness is fun. Yes, his dumbness is fun. Pat, you feel an Agent I? Sure. Good. Hello, rookie agents. This is Agent I with the Fleming Connection for the movie Die Another Day. The biggest connection between this, the 20th Eon-produced 007 film, and anything written by Ian Fleming is the main villain, Gustav Graves. Graves himself is not a character in any Fleming story, but he is inspired by perhaps the prototype villain of the literary bond, one Sir Hugo Drax of Fleming's third novel, Moonraker. In the novel, Hugo Drax is perceived by the public as a British hero, a victim of amnesia from a German attack during World War II, who rose from obscurity to wealth by cornering the market for a rare, valuable metal called columbite. He is generous with his finances, including building at his cost a rocket that will defend Britain during the Cold War. In actuality, Drax is a former German who joined the Nazi party and fought against the Allies during the Second World War. He later assumes the identity of a British soldier and becomes a hero to the people, including being knighted by the Queen. 
the Moonraker rocket turns out to be a threat to England rather than serving as part of its defense. And, well, I'll let you figure out how Bond resolves the situation by reading the novel for yourself. Several of literary Bond's villains have something similar to Drax's backstory or motivation in their own story, including Dr. No and Auric Goldfinger. And similar elements can be seen in Die Another Day's Gustav Graves. He has adopted a new identity as a hero of the British people, but Bond and M are suspicious, and what seems to be a technological marvel is really a dangerous threat. This may be the movie villain that comes close to the prototypical nemesis of the literary James Bond. While many people struggle with the science fiction elements and intense campiness of Die Another Day, myself included, I try to remember that there is a bit of the Fleming touch to even this, the 20th 007 movie in the series, made some 40 years after the first one, Dr. No. You can follow me on the Twitter at Seek Out Wisdom for more James Bond knowledge. This is Agent I, signing out. I like how folks, like the true fans, really try to find some positive, even in some of the weaker of the Bond films. Heck yeah. yeah. I was going to say that. That's kind of neat. And just to, Agent I continuing to find that Fleming connection that's there, you know, for the 20th anniversary or 20th film, 40th anniversary. Yeah. 20th film and 40th anniversary. Yeah. Just to find that connection. Yeah. Kind of interesting. I'm really excited to check out those books to dig a little bit deeper. So we may dabble a little bit as we run out of these films and become a new show, which we will reveal in the months to come. Yeah. Boys, all we got is one more stop. Last stop, Canada. Hello, Honor Majesty's secret podcast, MI6 Rookie Agents. Uh, this is a message coming straight from the James Bond complex. I'm one of its hosts, Edgar. I'm the other guy, uh, the other host. I'm Matt from Montreal. Oh, yeah, no, you're much more than the other guy. You're my co-host, brother. <laughs> uh, so what we do is we talk about uh, the James Bond phenomenon in all the shapes and forms from Fleming to film and everything in between. Oh, and we got your message a few days ago. I think it was last week at this point. Uh, we, we received wind that you were discussing dad. Uh, not just any dad, but the dad of all dads, die another day, uh, which 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 titillated us. We got really excited when we learned about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not what we've covered on our show yet. Uh, it's time. Nope. It's time. Welcome. So this is a little sneak peek of what we might be doing in a few months, or God knows how long, whenever we get to that one. But uh, so, how do you want to tackle this one, Matthew? Um. You know what? I'll, I'll go with uh, my first impression of that movie. Uh, I think that's always better uh, than because when that movie actually came out, I actually kind of liked it. I was I, it's something. What? Yeah, I think that's something uh, people forget because that movie made a lot of money. So some people, it's not just the twenty anniversary. I think people crave bombastic entertainment. Uh, people who are trying to escape from the horrors of 9-11, I think the Bond franchise was trying to uh, get people to, uh, I don't know, uh, out of the torpor and the stupor of 9-11. Uh, although, I mean, that movie was conceived before 9-11, so I don't know. <laughs> it's just that it was extremely popular. I worked in a movie theater when it came out, uh, and people were, were loving it. Some people didn't, but most people are like, yeah, they, they had a good time. But today, I mean, I'm going to try and bring up 
certain positive elements uh, of this movie, uh, but it, 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 it's a really uh, bifurcated movie. It's the first half as almost the tone of an actual spy movie, and by the end, we're on in your only lift twice, where it's this crazy space laser uh, and race genes switching. Mm. I'll, yeah, I'll, oh, really? It's really avant-garde, really, really avant-garde. I'll go to bat for the first half. I've always thought it was, uh, and the, the way they sold that movie, they really sold the "A Man Alone Betrayed." That's how they sold that movie mm. back in the yeah. early trailers. If you look online, it's they're easy to find. Yeah. Mm. So what? No, you, it's a cool way to sell it. So, what are your impression, Edgar? Uh, well, uh, little known fact, although maybe maybe you know this already, but Dying of a Day came out at a time when I was still a James Bond fan, but I'm about mm, – when Dying of a Day comes out, I'm 18 years old, seven, I don't know, something like 17, 18, 19 years old. If you ask me, if you stop me on the street and you ask me if I'm a James Bond fan, I'll say yes. But I'm not the fan I was as a child and a young teenager, and I'm certainly not the fan I am today. Hence, I did not go see Die Another Day in theater. I skipped it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, skipped, oh. I skipped two more than every day, so I get it. Only mm. sometime. And yeah, you know, there are other movies. You have to watch more important movies, of course. Uh, I forsake that stupid mentality. Now I just watch James Bond movies, so it's a lot more relaxing. <laughs> uh, however, do I regret, obviously I regret not seeing Die Another Day, Die Another Day in theaters, because I'd seen Brosnan's first three films theatrically. So, you know, had, had I, you know, if, if it's playing, if you tell me it's playing tomorrow morning at, at a multiplex downtown, uh, you know, I'll go see it just so I can, you know, check mark it. Do I like the movie? Not particularly. I'm sort of in your camp, Matthew. I think the first half is is much stronger than the second one, uh, than the second half, I meant to say. Uh, however, on the topic of the second half, sort of like yourself, I'm going to try to go positive. I'm going to try to muster as much as I can and be positive. I do like the Ice Palace. I feel that's a sort of a cute way to... A, nod, a tip of the hat and a nod to Ken Adams' work in the past because it, it really seems to come from that school. Mm-hmm. And and Zhao, the henchman Zhao, uh, with his uh, what is his sparkling personality, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's pretty cool. You know, they don't give him a ton of dialogue, but that being said, I think his the, his, the visual appeal of that character makes him very threatening. And very unique and strange it's and very, discomforting. It's very striking visually. Yeah, so I do. I'll go to bat for Zhao. I'll go to bat for the ice uh, house. I'll go to. I'll go to bat for uh, uh, Miranda Frost. Uh, my goodness, I can't remember the names. Actress all of a sudden, but um, uh, girl, that actress that I'm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm blanking on her name. I'm blanking on her name. In any event. Uh, I, I do like her very much. She's gone on, obviously, to do much better work. But, you know, you can – it's not a great character, but you can tell she has the acting chops. So uh, that, that – I'll you know, I'll say those are three positives of, of the second half. Yeah. I actually kind of like Gustav Graves. I love his physicality. Du- the duel between him and, and Brosnan, uh, between uh, Toby Stevens and Brosnan is fantastic. It's uh, one of it, the more memorable is. sequences. 
It is, but I find it a little bit funny because like they're doing this in oh Rosamund Pike, of course. How could we forget Rosamund Pike? That that was that's her name. <laughs> yeah, that's her name. Just one of the world's best actresses today, but you know what ifs. Um, yeah, I don't know about that that short fight. Like I get what they're trying to do, but I find the the location in which they're doing it with everybody around there, and at the end of the day, it's like ah, it's okay. We'll just give them a check and pay for the damage I'm like well, I don't know it's kind of silly but it is the uh, do the, the uh, backer uh, scene in Moonraker the book done with swords they they, they, they they went you know what people don't care about cards let's have a sword fight in a Bond movie which is it's it's original mm-hmm. to give it some credit it's a- well, four years later we'd find out that people actually kind of do care about cards and they don't mind seeing a card scene yes but, but at the time the mental <laughs> thing for that movie seemed to like Let's put like it's it's a James Bond movie, uh, drenched in uh, uh, Mountain Dew and uh, Red Bull. Okay. Yeah, and a little there's a little residue of cocaine from License to Kill on that one. I think I'm still uh, still, <laughs> they're still wiping the underneath of their nose. I think uh, on the set. It's, but it's, it's yeah, a crazy movie. it is a crazy movie. And speaking of crazy, if I may say so, there's the title song too. Oh yes and no. See what I did? Uh-huh. I when I first heard that, I remember thinking, "Oh, it's the club remix," and only to find out when the movie started that no, it's actually the song itself. It is. Yeah, this is it. I don't remember where it <laughs> ranked in in our in our uh, music episode, but I don't remember it ranking very high. It might have been the bottom one. I don't know how many songs are there. Twenty four. I probably ranked it twenty fifth, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, you know, uh, the the first the opening sequence. I have to say that North the entire thing in North Korea, the prison exchange. It's it's kind of. I actually kind of really dig that part of the movie. It, it, it starts in sort of a real world, but by the Oliver Berry moment where she jumps. She backflips into a green screen. It's just the movie is just insanity. It's you know left twice. It's they're they're starting in some somewhat from Russia would love more realistic, almost realistic spy thriller, mm. and it it leaps into you know left twice. It's uh it's really an insane movie. And uh, that movie came so out. So what you're saying is that oh yeah no go ahead. I was gonna say it it came out. The same year as Born Identity and mm. uh, the this, the winter before um, what's it called again Triple X with uh, Vin Diesel came out and both, <laughs> both those movies show that yeah the the, the Bond franchise really need to be uh, uh, re-engineered a little bit. Absolutely, no, I I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, now we don't want to spend too much time. Uh, I, I'm assuming there's not just us sending in some messages, and these uh, rookie agents they need to complete their training. We can't just let them have uh, have them listen to us babble on we endlessly. Have to let them know we have. A, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we have to let them know that uh, we have people everywhere. We, we do have people everywhere. For instance. www.thejamesbondcomplex.com, which is also our Tumblr account. Uh, we have an Instagram uh, at the James Bond Complex, Twitter at the Bond Complex. We have a wonderful Facebook page, search for the James Bond Complex. Uh, YouTube account. Uh, also, we're, we are also hosted at Anchor.fm. That's A N C H O R. Anchor. Uh, you can uh, download it. You can you can buy us on Google. You can, we don't cost anything, but you can buy us on Google Play. Uh, just as, 
Right? Stop <laughs> saying that. We're not on and, sale. We're not making okay, money. Okay, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop saying bye. You can then purchase us. Uh, purchase us on on iTunes. Uh, although we're free there as well. Is I still, uh, iTunes still around? Aren't they supposed to close that? Right. I think we're going to be on podcasts, or we're going to be on music. I don't know. <laughs> We'll find out. They'll ship us off somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows these crazy Apple people? We love them. Uh, and well, that's a, that's it for us. I, I've been Edgar. And I'm always Matt. Yeah, please stay that way. We, we like you just the way you are, Matt. Yeah. And uh, good luck on the rookie agents in your continued training. We will be following it very closely. Uh, toujours un plaisir. À la prochaine. Au revoir. Well, they certainly have a lot to say in that. And you know what? I like you, like you were saying, Jason, I appreciate people that look for the positives in these films. I mean, you can pick this movie apart if you want. And the, the reasons are certainly there. But, you know, much like Matt, you know, I worked in the theater when it came out. It was a fun popcorn movie. Like you told us early in the show, it was financially successful. People flocked to see this movie. Yeah, it's got lows, but uh, I, I really like the fact that they took some time to look at the highs, and I think that's good stuff. Ooh. Yeah, there still is a lot of fun in this movie <laughs> if you overlook the philosophy. Pat just likes the way that I think it's Edgar says, "Do it, Pat." Oh, 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 oh! oh. I do too. I, I, I'm a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan of that. That's my favorite part. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Show more open. Oh, 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 oh. Well, that will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Well, Jason, I'm glad you asked. You can find the Longbox Crusade on the Twitter, on the Facebook, and on the Instagram at Longbox Crusade. Also, you can check it out on the website, longboxcrusade.com. Back to you, Jerry. Thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission, and thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or a comment on this or any of our other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. Or you can contact any of us directly on social media. My contact info is at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Jason. I'm at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Pat. Oh, Jason, I'm glad you asked. I'm at Christatos01. <laughs> oh. Delvin, how about you? <laughs> oh, goodness. You can find me at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. We hope to hear from you soon. And the next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will feature Casino Royale. And oh my goodness. We're all, we're there. Oh, I can't believe we're it. There. You're there. We're about to get craigged. <laughs> <laughs> And remember, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, once when I was with Anne in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Outtakes. Thank you, Miss Money Penny. That's all. That's all. Where's the um, answers to the trivia questions? Uh, in your email. <laughs> oh. Oh, one more thing, Jared. Ooh. Oh, what'd you got? I, I'm pretty sure I'm getting the Sky Striker this year. What? I dropped some big hints to mom and dad. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, how how old are you asking for toys from your parents, Jason? It's the principal. Don't worry about that, Delvin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
You mind your business. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> My bad. Oh, boy. Before we got off on our Sky Striker tangent, which has no place in this show. But before we get our mission brief. Brief? What's a brief? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's shorter than a brief. German for brief. It's a brief, but they removed the e. <laughs> so, still, uh, what you, oh, sorry, I thought you were done. Well, I was it's just going to say it's still going. All right. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. Oh, yep. <laughs> we do not have peppy pets. <laughs> I got stung like a scorpion right there. My question is: How many diamonds does Zhao have stuck in his face? <laughs> What is, 14. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I made that up. Go ahead. Jason, Jason. and then Delvin. Delvin. Yeah, this is Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I picked the right one. I think this was a uh, very, uh, what was that word I used before? Coquettish. Coquettish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's every episode. Oh. <laughs> I wonder if I can splice that in for oh, HMS pot. <laughs> oh. 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 Just do it yourself. Just oh, HMS. You can find us on oh, HMS pot. Mm-hmm. I got like three Sky Strikers, though. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I threw one of them away just because the decal was coming off. Yeah, I did too. I just, I, I, ran, I ran over one with my car. I was like, I don't need it. (laughs) I lost the helmet. My mom bought me another one. And that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future. Music themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Joseflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it.